1: Are you ready for rapid fire? Let's do it. All right. You were throwing me off with your whole like, what, what? I like, <laughs> thought I was on the the, the freaking Pat what? McAfee show or something. What? Guys were just, you know, like saying things out there. So, <laughs> speaking at the Sports Business Journal Intercollegiate Athletics Forum in Las Vegas this week, Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbert told the audience that the Irish are going to produce a season-long documentary series for Peacock that will be their own version of Hard Knocks. So, Jesse, do you buy it or
2: sell it? I buy it. I'm a huge fan of Hard Knocks, and I'm an even bigger fan um, when it is my team. Speaking of, I do need to get caught up on my in-season Miami Dolphins Hard Knocks. no, but and uh, I think this is a perfect fit for Notre Dame, and especially for a college team that kind of wants to take its first crack at it, right, at this kind of hard next hard knock style of documentary. Um, it is it's very fitting for Notre Dame, and it, it, it to me provides more excitement, especially as fans. You you just kind of see the inside of practice a little bit more, the commentary, how things are run, the day to day, and that sort of stuff. So I think it's a perfect fit for someone like Notre Dame. Um, be, again, because of you know the national brand, I think it'll draw a large audience. And it just feels very on brand um, for Notre Dame as, as a school that might try something like this. And Tommy, I'm not ignoring you. The finger <laughs> guns have not taken many shots downrange to answer your question.
1: See, it's funny what questions Tommy demands to have answered, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, I think Stymie just said a Peacock needs content. And Notre Dame's going to give them some, and Notre Dame has been compensated, you know, for for it on NBC's part. It is part of the the NBC contract. You know, there are cameras all the, around all the time anymore, anyway, with social media and everything else. So I don't think it's going to be a distraction. I guess my short answer—I should get this out there—I do buy it, but I am curious to see exactly what they do with it because, like you, I love this kind of stuff. You know, I've been watching the you know the behind-the-scenes stuff. I've it's always good for watched, nerds yeah i mean i've always watched hard knocks and you know that's that's more than 20 years now at this point now they've got the in-season ones that somebody mentioned the dolphins one is good i've enjoyed that one so far but you know the, what are they going to do that's new though because you know that's like where, where these shows like the the preseason hard knocks where those shows were interesting is when they took like the low drafted rookie or the, you know, some of the undrafted guys who start to become a storyline and they're talking about are they going to make the cut? Are they not going to make the cut? You know, and they follow that throughout the, the the arc of the series. Like that's where some of that stuff gets interesting. They don't have that, you know, with something like this on a college team, you know, no one's going to get cut. Remember, they did do this before back with the Showtime series, something similar to this. Back in in 2015, it was the year Malik Zaire got hurt and Deshaun Kaiser took over. So they've done something like this before. Where it can be interesting, I think, and unique is like if they do more of the stuff like they did, you know, like the headsets, you know, those kind of conversations Mm -hmm. during games, you know, like they did, like the social media team did with the Duke game. Like that would be, you know, showing more of that kind of stuff, giving us, inside insights to real conversations that are taking place during games because I mean, the coaches want as little shared in these things as possible. and I get that. So I think casual fans are really going to enjoy it, but I guess we'll see how compelling it really gets because this is college football and there's always a you know the the curtain is always greater and they protect a heck of a lot more in college football where it's like the cult of the coach, you know, the coach determines so much at all levels, but especially at the college level. So I'll, I'll be curious to see exactly what they give us in this, what kind of behind the scenes looks, but, you know, again, just as a, the the best example I can give, I think everyone would like to see like more of that game day stuff where you get at, you know, some of that communication and stuff like that that's that's going on in the course of the game. That was great stuff.
2: Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was getting. At. I think you want to see more of the football junkie type stuff, like the right, the deeper level. You know, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't care so much for the surface level stuff. If they're going to do it, I'd like to feel like I'm actually learning something new or getting access to something I didn't necessarily know about before.
1: Yep, yep, completely agree. Do you buy or sell that Andre Estime could make more? money from NIL by staying at Notre Dame next year than he would as a rookie NFL running back.
2: I love that you asked this question because when I got home from work today, I was laying down in, on, in bed, just kind of scrolling on Twitter, trying to disconnect from the work world before coming on and doing the show with you. And I saw a tweet about Marvin Harrison Jr. is apparently mm-hmm. reconsidering, whether or not he wants to go to the NFL because there are rumors that the NAL compensations are, are if not the same, a little bit better or a little bit less than what he is, you know, being projected to make in the NFL. That's bogus. That's bogus, but you're not between the rookie contract, the signing bonus, the endorsements. Marvin Harrison's no a first
1: round draft pick. That's what I mean. Like,
2: and so that this, this goes into my point. If you're a first round draft pick, there there's no nil isn't matching that i i'm point and i'm point blank i can say that with very good confidence there's no way that an nil contract is is matching 20 million dollars just for a guy to come back for one season
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
3: The regular season is over, but that doesn't mean shopping for tickets has come to an end. Notre Dame still has a big bowl game coming up. It's also holiday season, which means plenty of amazing concerts and shows. And you'll need tickets, especially if you're a last-minute shopper like me. And if you are in need of tickets, game time is the place to go. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball games, concerts, comedy shows, theaters, and more. The GameTime guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or, and a row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Download the game time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. That's
1: GameTime.co. Okay, but we're talking about Audric Estime. We're not talking about Marvin Harrison. Let, so Audric Estime is not going to be a first-round guy. So stick so to this, the topic here, Jesse. Come gets on, to my stay point. on point. Stay this, on point.
2: This, this gets to my point. I think when you're someone like Audric Estime, who doesn't have as nearly high of a grade. As someone like Marvin Harrison Jr., I think it becomes more of a consideration. But me personally, there's no guarantee for what could happen next year. There's no guarantee that you can go back to the NFL. You could have a bad season. You could get injured, whatever. If I'm Audric Estime, I don't think this necessarily comes down to the money. This comes down to chasing a dream that you've had since being a child, and that's playing in the NFL. And so – I don't think that – I, I I so I think the question was buy or sell. I'm selling this. I think Audrey Estime is chasing that dream, and he's going to go to the NFL. I don't think the money is what's determining what he's going to do. And on the flip side, uh, like I was trying to get at with the comparison of Marvin Harrison Jr., there's no way that schools can match that first-round money either. And so that's what it comes down to, to me, is are you playing for the love of the game, or are you playing – And and that's a – I feel like for the guys who come back, it's because they don't have that that shot at the NFL that they know that they can make the money in college, play a couple more years, and they're likely done. But someone like Audrick Estime, who has a real shot at being you know, a guy in the NFL, I don't think that any sort of NIL
1: money plays into his decision. No, I mean, I think that someone like Estime, who max, you know, high end, he's going to be a day two pick, second round, but he could easily... Yeah, I, I don't think he goes past the third round. You know, it's first round on the first day, second round on the second day. I don't think he goes past the third round. But second and third, there's a huge difference in money between the first round. But the other thing is, there's also, by being by not being a first round guy, the team doesn't have that fifth year option. So that gets you to the second contract sooner. And it also gets you to, you, you know, your, your your pension time. It starts your pension clock when you're talking about, you know, how long you stick around and what kind of benefits you get on the back end. So for the short term, Andre Estime might easily be able to make a couple of million dollars by staying at Notre Dame next year, which could feasibly be more than he would make if he were drafted in the NFL. But everything that comes with starting your NFL clock and work, you know, and that's that's what these agents try to pitch a lot of these guys on. Start your NFL clock, you know. Start Especially NFL... as a running back, an NFL yes. running back, they have a very limited window. Right, like get to you know get to that second contract sooner, all that kind of stuff. And you're right, like with the running backs, you know, the running back position has been devalued. But like if you look at the NFL, like at the at the average NFL salary, it's not like the you know like they're still you know they're making less, but you know, compared to a couple of other positions, it's not like they're making so much less that it's like they're not making anything out there. So again, for the short term, estimate could make, potentially make more money in one year by staying here. But when you add everything up that comes with getting to the NFL and, you know, start, start that first contract, get things rolling on that first contract, limiting the amount of hits and shots that your body is taking as an NFL running back, especially for a bigger bodied guy, I think that everything just makes more sense for him to get to the NFL as quickly as he can. There's, you know, the, the long-term to me, far outweighs any short-term, you know, revenue and benefit that he would be getting by staying in and taking NIO money.
2: The only thing that Garrett that is guaranteed is the now and Audrick Esme knows where he stands right now.
1: Yeah. Yep. So fill in the blank. If you could pick any current NFL coach to be at Notre Dame, it would be blank. And this is one that Jesse told me earlier in the week. I'm going to say, you know, "Wow, this is this a, one. This is a great question." Where would you find yeah, this? I know. So I'm curious to see what your answer is going to be. I, I have no idea what you're going to say. No if guesses up with this. If you had to guess one, who do you think it would be? I know who mine is. So I'm going to save it and see if we've got the same. Hang on just a second. Hang on just a second. (laughs) Are you going to write it down? I'm going to write it down.
2: Okay, go ahead. Um, My answer would be Mike McDaniel of the Miami Dolphins. Hey, there we go. I love that you wrote it down too, so people don't think that we're just lying.
1: That's why I wrote it down.
2: <laughs> so I'll give you a couple of I love reasons. this
1: guy, man. I Same. love this guy. I, I love,
2: love guy. Mike McDaniel, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why. Uh, the first reason is just the way he connects with his players. He is a player's coach, he's one of the boys. I mean, when he talks to his players, he calls him bro. You know what I mean? Like he is <laughs> he is out there having a the time, but when it's time to get serious, I don't think anyone locks it down more than Mike McDaniel does. And the thing that really impresses me the most is I was watching the Manning cast the other night on Monday night, and they had Tua on. And Tua point blank said, I have to thank Mike McDaniel for the resurgence in my career because he found a way to work the offense around me for us to be successful. And that's why I want Mike McDaniel as my head coach. And I said to bring this question up later because that's, that's what Jared Parker didn't do last year. Jared Parker didn't find a way to make his quarterback work. Mike McDaniel yeah. would have found a way to make that quarterback work. There's no excuses. Right. And so that's what I love is Mike McDaniel knows how to relate to his players. He has his players backs and he's going to do everything in his ability, in his ability to make his players better or to make the, you know, to basically make, he's going to do the dirty work to make his players look good, to make it look like these guys are great, but really at the end of the day, he's the mastermind behind it all. And so, I love his, you know, his energy. I love his, his youngness. I love his relatability. There's just, and and he's a funny guy too. He's a very like thoughtful, he's witty, he's sarcastic. I just, I love everything about him. And I think his, I don't understand understand
1: him him wearing, you know, the, uh, those three quarter joggers, the, the the joggers (laughs) on game day. The joggers (laughs) on game day is a look. I will give him (laughs) that. And, uh, as, as Corey, Corey Flynn, Points out the uh the old 70s mob boss sunglasses <laughs> are a little bit cringe like the look the look is interesting and they actually showed him on that uh Washington staff from a few years back and like he is like I always thought he was a little bit skinny for a guy you know who played football him you know granted he played in the Ivy League at Yale but like he was he was a little bit uh rounder in the cheeks during his Washington days than what he is right now but I mean you talk about like you know like what's one of the, the the greatest things about Marcus Freeman? His ability to communicate, the way he yeah. interacts with people, and that's what you were just talking about with Mike McDaniel. And like we were just talking about the Notre Dame version of Hard Knocks. It's going to be on Peacock, and the current in season Hard Knocks with the Miami Dolphins. Like that stuff, I think that Notre Dame can do as well is really highlight Marcus Freeman and the way he interacts with people. You know behind the scenes and some of that kind of stuff, because you really get to see that with Mike McDaniel. And that's what stood out in watching this in-season thing with, with Mike McDaniel is one, how smart he is it's obvious how smart he is because that's how he got to where he is right now. You know, the kind of offensive mind that he has, and he's out there calling plays and everything else. But the way he interacts with people, and as you said, the way he sets his guys up to have success. I think all of those things like they are just like like because somebody brought up Shanahan and Shanahan is a great offensive mind as well. I don't, he's kind of like a, yeah, what you see from Shanahan is, you know, a little bit more stoic, a little bit more stone face, how he actually interacts. I don't know because we've never got to see that behind the scenes look, but there is, there is a personality and a persona with Mike McDaniel that I just think would be a, a great fit for the college game because he's still relatively young and the way he interacts with young people, you know, most of these guys are young on the dolphins roster as well. So I, I think, I just all think of those there's things no excuse player. for
2: Mike McDaniel. He's just going to find a way, no matter if he's always tinkering with different plays, you know, whatever it might be. He is his number one mission is he is setting up his players to be the best as possible. He's not, he's not for And this. I think this is the best way to sum it up. He's not forcing a system on his players. He's creating the system around his players. And I think that's what makes him so great.
1: Yeah. Domer says college players need to be tough. I don't know exactly (laughs) what that
2: means. Guys play tough when they want to play for you.
1: Any, anyone who plays football needs to be tough. I mean, it's, it's like, you don't have to be talked to tough to be tough. You know, it's like, it, the, the, the biggest thing is just letting guys know, I think, that that you believe in them and putting them in position to succeed. I think that that goes a long way. And I think that that's something that, you know, that he does well. that's, that's You brought up the question, and, and that's my answer.
2: Glad we had the same answer. Wow.
1: <laughs> I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure exactly where it was going to go. And I'm trying to remember if there was a um, – I don't think there was a question that goes along with it. You actually um, salty had something about Marvin Harrison Jr. earlier, but I missed it. Let's go ahead and throw this super chat in here. Thanks for the super chat, by the way. Previously, you'd give a new head coach four years to see how the program slash talent has developed. Does the standard change with a new level of roster churn with portal slash NIL? Does the head coach ceiling show itself sooner. So
2: basically what, what this is asking is with the influx of talent coming in and out and how you can address your weaknesses much quicker, should the, the, the wind, the coaching window or our judgment window be shorter? Um, I would have to say, no, I, I don't think that you should be expected to turn things around so drastically. Now don't, now, like if you're, if you're showing a continuous trend of bad, that's one thing, but if you're continuously showing an upward trend, I think that's a little bit, you know, a little bit different a story. And you have to, as fans, you have to manage expectations because I think a lot of times we want all the, you know, the, the, the national championships and the New York Six Bulls, but it takes steps to get there. And so as long as you're taking the proper steps to get to those bigger goals, I think that's really what the evaluation should be.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're gonna get. You can't just, you know, there's so many different ways to look at this because you, like <laughs> when you look at, at Deion Sanders and as soon as I say, Dion sound Sa- Sanders, he's going to polarize everybody. Just like all the Kaepernick talk is going on right now in the chat. Um, he, he's a polarizing guy, but I think in part Deion Sanders gets the benefit of the doubt because of the fact that he walked in the door and basically had like 80 new players on the roster this year because of the way he turned the roster over now you can look at that in two different ways one he ran off a bunch of guys but two he brought in a bunch of guys and won more games in his first season than they won last year you know the reason that he ran those guys off was because of the fact that they only won one game Last year. So, again, you know, like how you want to evaluate, like you can't just. Player development still has to be a big part of it. You can fill gaps with, you know, with NIL and transfer portal and everything else. But at the end of the day, it still has to be about player development, your ability to recruit the best talent possible and develop them and turn them into the best players and essentially fill some holes via the portal and you know however you want to use nil to do that that's kind of the way I see it maybe I should have brought this up after this next question but it kind of relates to this next question as well because a single day record more than a thousand college football players entered the portal on Monday it has been just a crazy week in transfer portal world 15 of them this was just monday alone 15 from south carolina nc state vanderbilt western michigan had 14 players each enter the portal 13 at cincinnati so what do you think of this new era of college football that we are living in right now
2: um i like it as a fan because again you're able to address some deficiencies rather quickly. Um, I'm afraid that the two things I'm afraid of is player development. Um, I think that it becomes college is all about player development. And so I don't, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of guys or teams just poaching off guys that are already, you know, someone else has kind of done the hard work and developed them essentially. I don't like the concept of that. Um, and the other thing that really bothers me is what seems to be the lack of commitment. And I know, what I mean by that is I understand there's situations where you don't want to get buried on a depth chart or maybe, you know, you commit to a school that's got, you know, two or three, five stars ahead of you. That's fine. If you're never going to see the field, that's one thing, but it, it discourages commitment and competition and hard work at the end of the day. Cause I think a lot of guys are giving up and just saying, Oh, well, I'm not starting right now. And so it's time to go to the portal. I don't like that aspect of it. Um, But again, I like the ability to kind of be able to address some, you know, holes in your roster in a quicker manner. It's not, oh, we need to wait for this guy that's coming in and develop him for two to three years. You can now go and say, okay, we might need to just, you know, add some glue here and there to piece this thing together. That's what I enjoy the most.
1: I'll give Tommy – credit because he seems like he's in a little bit of a mood tonight. This was, <laughs> this is your best comment in a while. Tommy he says it's really unfortunate the number of kids that jump in the portal and don't realize yet that they've played their last snap of football ever. That is probably a very true statement, you know, like, like that, that, that is part of it. And just the, you know, just the the sheer number of guys who are getting into the portal these last couple of years is just staggering, but at the same time, you know, I, I realize it, it stinks. but you know, like Notre Dame has felt it more this year than any year before with not just the number of guys going in the portal, but the quality, obviously, of some of these guys and, you know, and it kind of, it kind of catches you a little bit, but they still didn't have 15, like, you know, South Carolina or 14, like North Carolina state. Remember. Dave Doran was the one after his game talking about it's coming and I don't like it. And it does stink, you know, that, that some guys, you know, can't kind of see, you know, look, look at a guy like Xavier Watts as an example, you know, all the stuff that happened with Xavier Watts early in his career, moving back and forth, you know, offense to defense and defense to offense and, and then finally sticking at a position. And now he gets the award for the best defensive player. In the nation, that like stories like that are too few and far between because you have so many guys jumping in. But I'll say this like, I do like sort of this college free agency aspect because, you know, NFL offseason, you have the free agency window open and you can go address specific needs that you have with your team. And because of the fact that you've got this portal now and players have the ability to transfer and play right away, which just a few years ago, the coach still not only could control whether or not you were going to play, you know, whether or not they gave you the release, but they could also control which schools they did or didn't want you to go to. So I I kind of like this, you know, like Notre Dame has not only recruited well, you know, like if you look at them specifically, but, you know, we were talking about Javante John Baptiste, Thomas Harper, obviously Sam Hartman, as well. Those were three big needs that they needed to fill last off season and look what they did with them. So I kind of like this, this sort of, you know, free agency period that lets you address some short-term needs by going out and getting some guys in the portal. And NIL has definitely played a part in that and it's helped it. So it's not all, it's not all roses, but I, but I, I do like it. I have to say, I like it, you know, with what teams are able to do. By, by, by going out and kind of creating this per- new new sort of period where they're able to address those needs. So, just the NBA's in-season tournament has been a big success. Would you buy or sell a college basketball conference doing a similar thing? Before you answer that, Salty did have a question in uh, – Earlier, the NBA's in season tournament has reached the semifinals. Has it been a success? I would say yes. Do you even know it exists? And which two teams are playing tonight? Pacers, Bucks, actually. Four yeah, teams that's right. Playing. They're in the semifinals tonight.
2: And Pelicans and Lakers is the other game for people who want to test my knowledge.
1: My question, you know, again, leaving the NBA, you know, who's playing, who's not, that's irrelevant. Do you think that it could work? Like if a, if a, College conference decided to do something like this in basketball, an in-season so, tournament. I think that <laughs> I think
2: that um, the in-season tournament works predominantly for the NBA because they are addressing the issue that guys aren't playing hard every game, or you're not getting to see star players every game, and so that these guys have been incentivized with this in-season tournament right and so it's like you start you saw this I saw something from the Pacers the other day that said
1: let's these guys can we we stick to the college thing because guys are losing interest in in what we're talking about
2: it was gonna correlate back okay go ahead go ahead I think that the issue with the college game is I think it like it would be a great concept and I think it would play out well I just don't think the college game needs it in the way that the NBA needed it and so Um, I would just sell it just because I think guys are playing hard all the time in college. And I think that, again, you see some of these invitationals and tournaments and that's kind of very similar to me. I think that, that this is a, a a concept that fits the NBA well and and really the only the NBA.
1: See, I, I disagree with that because like people are saying, well, isn't that what the preseason tournaments are for? And it would be a scheduling nightmare. The, the way the NBA has done this, as you know, but, you know, since a lot of people haven't been paying attention, this tournament, they're, they're regularly scheduled regular season games that essentially count toward the tournament, right? You win the game, then, then you know, it's like you, you – uh, I, I don't know exactly what the point system is like, but essentially you win these games and it helps you, you know, as you go through this in-season tournament. And now – the four teams that have made it to the semifinals have done the best in these regularly scheduled games, right. To get to where they are right now. Right. Yep. So, I mean, like, couldn't you see like the ACC use the month of December when hardly anyone is still paying attention to college basketball. My point is I think that it would bring more attention to college basketball. So all you're doing is scheduling over the course of, you know, two or three weeks. You've got these regularly scheduled conference games. They would essentially be your early season conference games. You're playing them in December instead of January. And then maybe around the holidays, you have this semifinal for the top four teams that make it out and you add some games and then you just, you know, you kind of adjust their schedule on the back end. As a result, like I think that it would bring more attention to college basketball in the month of December when they're playing all these games against the. You know, Niagara's and Marist and smaller conference teams of the world, I think that it would bring more attention to college basketball and those games would actually mean more as well.
2: Yeah, and it could it, I like your point now. Also, it's like a midseason evaluation. It's a tournament before the tournament, right? right. You can almost see, you know, this is like the warm-up to the big thing, and you you get a better feel of where teams are at, higher competition, um, etc. I just think that there would have to be a way to incentivize it. Uh, at the end of the day, like how are like it, no one wants the midseason trophy because you, you you know ultimately you care about the end of the season trophy. So what do you do to incentivize it? Does the does the midseason ACC winner get an automatic bid into the tournament no matter what? Do you know what I mean? Do, it, could automatic bids be handed out for teams that win the in-season tournament? I think there has to be something to incentivize um, the players because when there is incentive on the line, uh, that's when that's when guys start to play hard, and that's kind of what I was getting at. With the NBA, the incentive the gotcha. incentive is more money for them. The, you know you have you have thirteen players on the Pacers roster who make less than like a million dollars, and so if you're getting five hundred k for winning the in season tournament, that's a big incentive.
1: Sure. And from a college standpoint, you can get nil incentives. Yeah, that's in I forgot now. about that. You know, yeah, so I think yeah, maybe it's just a nice cash do. price. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things you could do just to do something a little bit different. Again, it's like. They're part of your schedule before this. So you're not adding a bunch of extra games. They're part of your schedule you're just as it is. playing them. Yeah, it's just that, that those games mean something for the tournament that you're playing. Just Thank a thought. You, They'll Anthony, probably I never do just- it. I don't know. Coleman, on the subject of basketball, through eight games, has men's basketball. And he's talking Notre Dame. Have they underachieved met or achieved your expectations in my opinion they've overachieved considering the roster turnover I would say you know I think they're what I think they're at four 500 right now um I would say that they have met my expectations I don't know about overachieved um I, I think that they have at least met them I, I still think it's going to be a tough road for them the rest of the way you know they, the the wins they have. Obviously, what Oklahoma State is their best win, and otherwise they've beaten a bunch of mid majors. But, you know, you nailed it with the roster turnover. That's the thing. I I just did not have overly high expectations, and just kind of watching their play. You know, peak and valley, so far. I think that um, I think that they have probably met them. I don't think they have underachieved though to this point. What do you think, Jess? Um. I, I've,
2: I would say that they've slightly overachieved, but you know, ultimately they've won the games that they're supposed to. And I think that they've lost the games that they're supposed to. Um, And I think there's a case for each side for not, I think that the Oklahoma state game was a good win and a game that you can maybe argue that they, they shouldn't have won or that they weren't projected to win. Um, And then the loss to um, Western Carolina was a one, a game I felt like they should have probably won. And so, You know, you flip those two. I just think it's just going about as expected. They're really, you know, beating the teams that they're supposed to um, and struggling against some of the better teams. But uh, I think we'll we'll find out a lot more once they open up ACC play. That'll be the kind of, you know, more consistent ACC play because they played Miami so far. um, And they have a big game against Marquette coming up. So I think that you can learn a lot more about, you know, it's a little early, but I think that they've uh, slightly exceeded my expectations so far.
1: I just love that even, you know, the mention of three letters NBA and then people get so sidetracked, you can't even can't even focus on the fact we're talking about applying something they're doing there to college basketball, because everyone just gets sidetracked and goes on their rants about what they hate about the NBA Uh, sports. Le, uh, sportsbook lab says what the hell happened to Mike Bray. Why is he not coaching? He is coaching, but he's in the NBA. That's why you're not making attention. Yeah, to. he's the Atlanta. He's an Hawks. assistant coach with the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where he is. He's with the Atlanta Hawks. It's you know, it's it's a different universe, really. It's so far away. It's professional <laughs> basketball. Um, Decaf eighteen. When will the ladies' mass unit basketball have a full roster? I'm not sure. I've seen a team depleted more from injuries. And uh, yeah, so they were without Emma Risch last night after already being without Kassan Prosper from last week. And Kassan is still in a walking boot right now. I guess she's just got some leg soreness. It's like they, they don't think that it's anything serious. It's more just it's been sore. So they're not pushing it right now. Sonia Citron going to be back, should be back by the end of the month is what they're talking about. So I would think by the time the new year rolls around, you know, they get through they've got Purdue 10 days from now and then they've got Western Michigan um on December 21st and then they'll get the holiday break and then New Year's Eve they go to Syracuse. By that New Year's Eve game they they could be back at full strength. And that's of course when I say full strength that doesn't include Olivia Miles because I'm just not sure what's going to happen with her right now but of the ones who started the season i would think that they will probably have all three of them back by the time the end of this month rolls around
4: whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why i'm excited that unified healing is sponsoring podcasts on the blue wire network
5: what would you like the power to do mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america na member fdsse
1: so fill in the blank football tv rules analysts are blank
2: oh no not that one the very next one
1: well let's you, let's get this rules analyst
2: question <laughs> first. rules analysts useless because all they're going to do is sit up there and agree with, they're they're not going to basically turn the back on their own hired officials. Um, And so most of the time, there's no, no one out there is not, they're they're not providing any sort of extra information. All they're doing is trying to find a way to validate what was ever called on the field. Um, So really they're they're useless because they explain the rules and they'll contradict their rules. And again, it just all goes back to making sure they look good at the end of the day.
1: Yep. I would say 1% of the time they maybe explain some nuance that we don't know about and it's actually helpful, but the rest of the time they just don't tell us anything that we can't see with our own eyes. And I've heard Jimmy Traina, he, he hosts the SI media podcast and he, he writes, uh, you know, covers sports media for sports illustrated. He, he talks about it all the time. They are just, they're redundant to what's going on in the game, these guys are afraid to give you their true opinion because they don't want to look bad. They typically just, you know, back up anything that is called on the field. They don't want to contradict the officials on the field because, of course, they're all former officials themselves, so they don't want to make the other officials look bad. And they they just don't say anything. Like, were you watching the uh, – I don't know if you might have been watching. I don't know if you had the sound up. The Georgia-Alabama game last week where they they threw that flag for the horse-collar tackle – Yes. And I think they brought in, I think it was Gene Steratore because he's the CBS guy. They bring him in and, you know, he's talking about, Oh, his hands down in the collar. It was a good call. You know, of course it was a horse collar tackle and Gary Danielson's going, well, it looked to me like his hands were just up on his shoulder pads, you know, and he, and he pulled him down and that's what I saw as well, but it didn't want to contradict, you know, the, the call on the field. And that's typically what it turns into. And then The next day, did you hear about this one, the Patriots-Chargers game? What happened in that game with the flag that was thrown? Mm -mm. So Bailey Zappi throws an incomplete pass. Refs throw a flag for pass interference on the play. So Chargers head coach Brandon Staley challenges the ruling because he thought that there was a tip ball at the line of scrimmage. And if there's a tip ball, of course, there can be no pass interference. So... CBS shows all these replays, and one of them shows that it looked like a Chargers defensive lineman tipped the ball. But the replay booth still says, nope, the call stands, no tip ball at the line of scrimmage. So they bring in Sterator, who said he he just goes on, oh, great job by the cameraman, you know, to get to that, you know, and, and and he talks about the fact that the ball was deflected, you know, great job by the cameraman showing that ball you know hitting the fingertip of this guy which does remove the foul for pass interference and he, you know great he goes on and on about what a great job the cameraman did of showing that ball tippet and then the announcers go uh hey Gene, they got the call wrong <laughs> you know it's <laughs> like he's talking about he's he's talking about about it as if they actually overturned it and they didn't overturn it the replay booth Pre- totally blew body. it and and they're all just all just completely Worthless. It's a waste of all of our times to have these rules analysts in there. Just makes you more mad, I think. I think so too. (laughs) Tommy Guns is coming after you now already about Cowboys and Eagles. So Cowboys Eagles part two, Sunday. How much does a win mean? How bad would a loss be? And of course, we're talking about from the Cowboys perspective.
2: A win means everything. It's rivalry week. It's the Eagles. It is your most hated rivalry. These are, you know, arguably you could say that these guys are fighting for uh, a top spot in the division, a top spot in the NFC. It can mean a potential first round buy. And again, when it's all when it's all this accumulates to um, against your biggest rival um, and especially the letdown of the game in Philadelphia, I think on paper, the Cowboys are the better team. They've been playing like the better team for the last month. But that's the issue with the Cowboys. As soon as you think that you know something about them and they should be playing a certain way, they revert back to old ways. And so if they lose this game, it's crushing to me because it shows that they can't actually stick to it and stay on this streak and win the big games. Right. Cause again, I think the Cowboys, the Cowboys are menaces at home. And then you tack on the fact of how well they've been playing. Um, Dak is the leader and the NFL MVP right now. Um, and so there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of hype, but again, when you, when you start introducing hype and expectations around the Cowboys, what do they do? They lay an egg and they usually let you down. So I think this is a big, big, big win for the season because this this is what steers you into the playoffs. This is what gets you on track to get into the playoffs um, at the end of the day. And there's nothing more. I'd love to see the Nick
1: Sirianni crying just like he did in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Sirianni tears. Typically, I would say I don't care what happens – in this game it's the regular season i just want to see playoff wins when it matters like i would sacrifice a win here for a win in the playoffs but where they are right now like the eagles just skated by and skated by you know like a couple of weeks ago the overtime win over the bills when buffalo had them beat you know all these comeback wins at the end They just kept managing to escape disaster. And then of course they got their doors blown off by the 49ers last week. You know, the thing about this is the if if the Cowboys win, they're tied for first place with the Eagles, you know, atop the division. So there's a chance to win the division right now, which means home field advantage, you know, actually where the Cowboys are undefeated. And this game is in Arlington this weekend. So like there's there's so much on the line with this game that You know, I typically don't put as much stock into regular season games, but, you know, like the knocks on the Cowboys, what are they? You know, they can't beat the good teams. They beat a so-so team and look pretty bad defensively anyway in the process last week against Seattle. They've had some extra time to rest for this game because they did play on Thursday night. So it it means quite a bit. A win would be huge for a chance to actually – be a be, you know, have some home field advantage. It's a, it's, it's like, I've seen people say it's a must win for the Eagles. I think th- it's really a must win. I think for both teams, when you look at the, at the chance to host playoff games in, uh, in January, as opposed to going on the road. So I don't know how much, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm riding on it. You know, I don't know how much I'm, I actually think they're going to win. I have pretty low expectations going into this game. I, I, I think this. it can be a good competitive game, but we'll, I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll
2: see. I think the Cowboys win by at least 10 points. Um, Sportsbook lab. Uh, what's the Cowboys record versus teams with a running winning record? Well, I'll tell you a big part of why they have a losing record is because the Cowboys L is attached to a lot of those teams. Right. <laughs> and so and, and, again, it's if it were so easy to beat the bad teams, every team would do it consistently. Just because they're bad teams, it, again, it, you still have to win the game. And, and and not only are they winning the game, but they've convincingly beat some of these bad teams as well. They're not skating by. They're not winning games in the fourth quarter. They're exerting their dominance. There's a reason why they're the leading NFL team in points per game. There's a reason why their quarterback is playing the best in his career. And there's a reason why the defense is as good as it is. This, this team is dominating teams. It's not just they're skating by. They're winning games handedly.
1: I mean, I'm not guaranteeing anything by any means. But as we've talked about before, it's been a long time since the Eagles have actually swept the Cowboys. So that's... That's what I mean. You know, they don't,
2: neither team really sweeps each other. They always seem to split. And so that's a big thing, too. You can't get swept by the Eagles in the same season.
1: Yeah. I mean,
2: uh,
1: apply that... Well, let's just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go down that road. We'll just leave it at that. I'll just finish with this though. Anthony said by herself, Vince presented Jesse with a substantial monetary inducement to say that Vince made a good point on the previous show. I have to sell this because Vince's wife would never approve that monetary inducement. Vince has got to get approval to spend any money. If you don't know this about Vince by now, Vince, Vince, don't spend nothing with, 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 without the uh, stamp of approval from, from the misses. So I, that, that's a big sell for me. Sunday. We'll talk to you Monday. <laughs> I'm, I'm night. fully ready for everyone to be, you know, coming in hot, throwing shots at us. So we'll yeah. see.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, so now we can talk about the Cowboys for hours? DK? Uh-huh,
1: uh-huh, here we go. DK,
2: those lines are rolling into Jerry's world in a couple weeks. By wins. the way, wait you that see game? the
1: over-under for tonight's uh, Steelers-Patriots game? No, is it in the 32 area? 30 and a half points. Ooh, that's Iowa level. 30 and a half points for Steelers-Patriots. I did see something last week. Most of the primetime games... Especially Thursdays go under on the over unders. And this, you know, so really kind of sets this up to probably go over, but like this would seem like the game that's almost guaranteed to go under 30 and a half points, Steelers, Patriots.
2: Thank you, Michael Hahn. Everyone always loves to bring up the Cowboys' downfalls, but you know what the common denominator is? They're always playing important games and they're always in the damn playoffs.
1: Brent, as of Brent's asking who owns the tiebreakers if the Eagles and Cowboys are, you know, like if the Cowboys win this game, they'll be tied next week for right now. The Eagles would have the tiebreakers because they have the better record within the conference, you know, so obviously Dallas would still need some help down the road, but there's no way Dallas is going to win the division if they don't win on Sunday. So just leave it. Cause like the, like, when you look at the schedules, Dallas is, is considerably tougher than philly down the stretch
2: fun note though i don't know if you know this but if the cowboys do beat the eagles they will technically be in first place for a few weeks but if they end with the same record the eagles would hold the tiebreaker so the cowboys will technically be in first for a couple weeks even if they win but it all it'll be for not you know the eagles have to lose another game yep
1: yeah i mean i agree michael the eagles probably won't lose one more game than dallas but We can, we can at least hope we can at least hope for, for, for one week. All right. That's going to do it for tonight. Appreciate all the questions. A lot of good stuff and a lot of good interaction. Hope everybody had fun. Uh, You know, we don't mind mixing it up, you know, and having some good times with it. So we will uh, talk to you later. Have a good one. Appreciate you. I hope that uh, it was good enough for, uh, for Tommy to hit the like button before he leaves tonight because he (laughs) said he was reserving it for later on. Maybe he can talk DK into hitting the like button and everybody else as well. And of course, subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you very much, Joe. And we will talk to you. Thank you very much. Sportsbook lab to you as well. We will talk to you next time on IB nation sports. Talk.